Welcome to episode two of Nothing Permanent. This is Kunal Chathal. So I have a confession to make. Today's episode is going to be a selfish one. I generally intend on having conversations with my friends on here, but today I'll be subjecting all of you to a monologue. Something happened to me recently, and I feel unable to resist the urge to share my story. A few weeks ago, I became a citizen of the United States at last. It is impossible to convey the staggering, blindingly overwhelming weight of what I just uttered. After a little under 15 years of being in this country, I am now finally a citizen. It's been a long, difficult, devastating journey. And to even attempt to use words, measly, miserably insufficient words, to describe my nauseating, endless immigration saga seems laughably pathetic. But at the moment, words are all I have. So here we go. I was born in the United Arab Emirates, or the UAE, to Indian parents. I spent 18 years of my life in the UAE. My parents still live there. However, the UAE doesn't impart any kind of legal status to its inhabitants, unless you're Arab. So it doesn't even matter if you were born there. This means that if I ever want to go back home to see my parents, I need to apply for a tourist visa, just like any other regular schmuck. The result is that the legal framework of the very country that contains the house of my childhood staunchly reminds me that I am always a guest in it. So I'm already off to a dicey start with this fractured sense of identity. I inherited my parents' citizenship, and with that, unfortunately, the bane of my existence an Indian passport. The problem with the Indian passport is that the restriction it places on your mobility in the world is just astonishing. You pretty much have to apply for a visa anywhere in the world you want to visit. There's an entire section of the population that is just blissfully ignorant to the world of mind-numbing agitation and trepidation involved in the process of applying for visas. There are some people that don't even know what visas are. If you have an American or Canadian or European passport, for example, you can hop onto a plane tomorrow and whisk yourself away to wherever the fuck you want. The world is literally your goddamn oyster. If you have a passport from a less fortunate country, however, you essentially need to ask for permission. You need to go through a process. A process that involves scrounging around desperately for appointments at consulates months in advance, filing mounds of paperwork, spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and going to all sorts of lengths to prove the sincerity of your intentions to travel and the legitimacy of your personal and professional history. For instance, when I wanted to visit Croatia a few years ago, I had to literally get a handwritten letter of invitation from my friend in Croatia that had to be specifically notarized by only a pre-approved limited set of public notaries in Croatia specified beforehand by the Croatian consulate in the US. The letter then had to be snail-mailed to me in a sealed envelope bearing the affixed signature of the notary. This was just one of the many, many documents that I had to somehow magically provide. 
Sometimes, even after suffering through such logistical nightmares, you still face the possibility of rejection. For example, when I wanted to visit Italy a few years ago for a friend's wedding, I was rejected by the Italian consulate. The Italian immigration officer looked at my paperwork, wasn't convinced, and handed my application back to me. When I tried to plead my case, he cut me short, looked me in the eye, and said, if I want, I can put a mark on your record such that you won't be able to visit Europe for the next 10 years. So be grateful that I'm letting you off easy. You're still young and you have a lot to learn from life. So think of this as a lesson and thank me later. I wish I was paraphrasing what he said or simply exaggerating out of spite. Unfortunately, I'm not. And that's the thorn in my side when it comes to immigration. It's not just about the hassle of paperwork, the financial expenditure, and the long winding spool of red tape. It's about the dehumanization you feel perpetually along the way. The slow, steady, and not-so-subtle bureaucratic questioning of your eligibility as a traveler inevitably starts feeling like an inexhaustible inquisition into your value as a human being. And of course, it's not just Indians. There are people that have it worse. I have Pakistani friends who used to have Pakistani passports that recently acquired Canadian citizenship. I've traveled with them, and I've seen their experiences transform into something so unrecognizably different purely by virtue of the book that they present to the immigration officer at the point of inspection at the airport. It astounds me to think that a book, a book, can completely change how the world views you. The Pakistani passport is green, the Canadian one blue. Present the green book, and you are most likely going to be profiled, not so randomly searched, troubled, and just generally put in situations of high stress and high anxiety when you travel. You are guilty unless proven innocent. Present the blue book, and you are welcomed with open arms, courtesy, and even good-natured humor. Your life just exponentially lightens. The world just opens up to you. Anytime I sit and think about this deeply enough, it never fails to shock me with how absurd the world has become. The rules, structure, and make-believe mechanics of society sometimes truly seem nonsensical. I don't mean to sound naive. From an economic, political, or socio-cultural standpoint, I understand that we are clearly not poised to unleash the pure vastness of our planet as equally accessible to everyone, untethered and unchained. So I understand the importance of some sort of legal framework that needs to be imposed on the portability of people across the globe. But we need a better system, a system better than the current one, where your value as an international traveler is purely a consequence of fortune. It pretty much just depends what country you were born into or what book you were bestowed with upon birth that determines how accepted you are in the network of international travel. So for those of us with green books, we are essentially victims of the nations that we are born into. What a travesty. I like to envision a future that determines people's global mobility on the basis of some kind of moral merit. I know this seems kind of phantasmagorical, but hey, a man can dream. 
The reason I want to share my thoughts is because I'd like to spread a kind of awareness and education on the topic of immigration from a very real and a very personal vantage point. I think this can be particularly useful and is particularly relevant given the political climate today. By no means do I actually want to talk politics. People are already doing that incessantly every minute of every hour of every day. There's nothing more that needs to be said on that. But I think it's important that people understand what immigration is and what it represents and what it means to people and how it affects their lives. I think there's this kind of face value, cosmetic projection in the media of what immigration is, that it's just about letting people into or not letting people into the country. From a bird's eye view, that's kind of true. But there's something very sterile and just easily forgettable about reading up or thinking about immigration in that way, when immigration is actually so much more. So what is immigration? When you're an immigrant, immigration is the ever-present ground beneath the feet of your mind that your identity wanders on in every waking moment. It is a constant in your life, loitering silently on the fringe of your subconscious at best and parading disruptively uninvited at the forefront of your experience at worst. Immigration is not a string of isolated, singular events or emotions. It's not just about that time you felt queasy when facing a customs officer at the airport, or the reluctance and exhaustion that you endured when applying for a visa. No. Immigration is the constant, tireless hum of dormant anxiety, apprehension, and precaution infused into the substrate of your mind. It is woven into the very fabric of your cultural being. It becomes a part of who you are, and it becomes a part of your identity, whether you like it or not. You don't have a choice because you are constantly reminded of it. If you wish to study, work, or travel, you are constantly reminded that special rules apply to you. Here's a quick primer into the immigration circuit for those unfamiliar with the routine. If you wish to study in the United States, you need to apply for a student visa. A crucial component of the student visa application process is the ability to prove that you're not here to stay. You intend to leave the moment your academic pursuits are over. So essentially, the system wants you to acquire knowledge and skills, but wants you out the door the moment that's done. Or in other words, the moment you're done pouring obscene amounts of money into the system. For those that wish to stay and contribute to the economy, which is kind of a polite way of saying, doing whatever they can to embark on a lifelong journey of repaying student debt, trying to find work after graduation is incredibly prohibitive. Work visas are outrageously and intentionally scarce and highly, highly sought after. The work visa application process is literally called a lottery because the demand is so high and the supply is so low. And much like the lottery, most people don't win. It's a bet that most employers don't want to place on a prospective employee that needs such work authorization. And understandably so. Can you really blame an organization for not wanting to spend thousands of dollars and invest months of time, effort, and energy into a potential recruit only to have their work visa denied? As a result, most companies don't even want to interview you if you need a work visa. 
only the very large, very powerful champions of the capitalist corporate landscape have the resources to sponsor your visa process, to fight your legal battles for you. And even if you're one of the lucky ones to obtain a work visa, you are then irrevocably tied to your employer. So losing your job automatically means losing your right to stay in the country. Your exit interview basically comes coupled with a free one-way ticket out of the United States. For those that manage to overcome all these hurdles, waiting for them as their reward is the notoriously convoluted, practically unending path to permanent residency, also known as getting your green card. Getting a green card is, amongst other variables, again, a function of circumstances out of your control, a major one being your country of birth. If you were born in India, for example, you are almost certainly completely fucked. Get ready to laugh at the figures I'm about to drop. The current average wait time for an Indian national already in the EB2 category Q for a green card is 20 years. If applying today, the average wait time is 50 years and the maximum expected wait time is around 150 years. Yes, you heard that right. Can you fucking believe that? You would literally have to wait 50 years to get your fucking green card if you applied today, based on employment as an Indian with a bachelor's degree. How surreal is this statistic? But wait, it actually gets worse. The trauma seeps into the applicant's family as well. If a green card-seeking worker dies while waiting in line, their families lose their place in line and are subject to deportation. So you have entire massive communities of people living in fear of children aging out and wives being sent away after decades in the US. Allow me to quote a truly horrific passage from an article published in the Washington Post last month. Yogi Chabra, an IT professional in Louisville, says the backlog crisis has put his family in danger of being torn apart. Chabra, 55, has lived in the United States for 21 years and has been in the backlog for nine. His oldest son, now 23, is a US-educated mechanical engineer who has lived in Kentucky since he was three. But because he aged out of eligibility two years ago, his son now faces the prospect of being deported to a country he has never known. If he cannot find a job in eight months, he'll have to leave, Chabra said. It was just yesterday that he came home crying. We don't know what to say to him. Chabra and his wife, who has a PhD and works on kidney transplant research, have considered the possibility that they might also have to leave. I've been in the same job for 20 years now, he said, noting that he has been passed by for promotions because he has to stay within a certain salary range to keep his spot in the green card line. And they say it might be 100 years because of the speed it's going, because of the country caps. I'm already 55. I'm not going to live that long. Just let that sink in. The very fact that we're talking about people dying while waiting for a green card as a perfectly normal, even plausible consequence blows my fucking mind. And this right here is the crux of the point I'm trying to make. That immigration is a monster with many, many faces. 
it's not just about people having to flee their countries for fear of persecution on a boat amidst ravaging seas in hiding across borders with walls. Make no mistake, that is by far, and without a shadow of a doubt, the worst version. I thank my lucky stars day in and day out that I'm not here narrating a personal story involving immigration trauma of that kind. My gratitude is infinite, and my heart goes out to immigrants that bear that unfathomable brunt. That's the ugliest face of the immigration monster. And so it rightfully graces the screens of media outlets and the headlines of news in print all the time. Therefore, there isn't much value in me further regurgitating that version to the masses. Instead, I believe I'm better suited to spread awareness about the kinds of immigration trauma that I can relate to, such as the fear of deportation, something I personally had to face just a couple of months ago during the last leg of my citizenship application when it ran into complications. That's another story for another time because that would turn this episode into a three-hour-long podcast and I'm clearly not Joe Rogan, so no one's going to listen to me yap for that long. The point is, there's a multitude of form factors that the mold of immigration trauma takes. But in every form, it's an exquisite cocktail of discomfort uncertainty, and helplessness. The recipe is the same, only the potency varies. Immigration trauma is so much more pervasive than you might think. It affects more people than you can imagine in a wide range of emotionally destructive and unjust ways. There are so many stories out there. Stories from immigrants coming from a diverse array of social, cultural, and economic standing. And my plea is this. Please listen to these stories. Listen to people's stories. We live in a time where everyone wants to be heard, but no one wants to listen. It's a self-feeding, self-prophesizing cycle of polarization. In my experience, what I found is, ironically enough, not wanting to listen is oftentimes a symptom of not being heard. As I said at the start of this episode, I don't want to talk about politics explicitly. These days, it's such a toxic, messy can of exploding worms that I'm really not inclined to open it. Least of all on social media, of all places, where the flames of personal opinion are so easily stoked and where every political conversation is bemusing at best and separationist at worst. But what I do want to talk about is the concept of encouraging people to pause to just pause, take a moment, however brief. If you find someone who does not share the same views or same opinions as you, I'd like to suggest something radical. Simply listen to them without judgment, without indulging that reflexive rage that has come to characterize nearly all our political discourse today. Pause when you feel that instant urge to tell the other person why they're wrong, why they're part of the problem, why their understanding is flawed, and why you think they might be a horrible human being. After all, what exactly is the point of doing so? If the other person is truly horrible, no amount of conversation will help. And if the other person has even the smallest window of space in their mind 
that's open and receptive to change, then telling them that they're wrong and horrible is the most effective way to seal that space shut. It's literally a lose-lose scenario. You essentially ensure that you create the very monster that you have sworn to defeat. You become the very thing that you are fighting against. And this statement is true regardless of what you're talking about. It has nothing to do with politics and everything to do with basic human nature. It's a quintessential feature of the human condition to resist in the presence of force. No matter how valid your opinion, how true you think it to be, and whatever topic your opinion is on, rushing to impose or convince someone else about it aggressively is the most effective way to achieve the exact opposite. It's similar to telling an angry person to calm down. When has telling someone to calm down ever worked in the history of the world? If someone's shouting, it's because they don't feel heard. But unfortunately and paradoxically, shouting also ends up being the best way to discourage someone from hearing you out. The design of the human psyche is riddled with such delicious irony. In any case, conversation is the only tool we have in our arsenal to negate division. And conversation by its very definition requires the continual switching of the baton between talking and listening. So one side needs to listen, else we're destined to drown in the ever-loudening roars of opinion, doomed to live in a world that eventually turns deaf. I want to close this episode by offering my support to anyone that might be facing any kind of immigration-related difficulty or has immigration questions of any kind. I know I cannot provide official legal advice or representation, but with all the experience that I have, I think I can at least provide some form of value, support, knowledge, or information. And I think every little bit counts. I've dealt with the tangled mess of immigration rules and processes of several countries. The United Arab Emirates, India, Canada, nearly every country in South America, Croatia, the vast majority of the Schengen area in Europe, which includes countries like Italy, France, Greece, Romania, etc., and of course, the United States. Needless to say, the international spread of my immigration knowledge and subsequent pain is ultimately also a reflection of my immense privilege to have had the opportunity to have traveled so extensively. For example, my intimate knowledge of Italian immigration is a result of my having worked there, and my knowledge of South American immigration comes from a time when I was stuck in Argentina for several months back in 2014, when I was unable to re-enter the United States. Again, another story for another time. But the point is, I am exceptionally lucky. Throughout the turmoil of my immigration ups and downs, I've also always had moral support, financial stability, and good health, the most valuable resources a human being can possess. All these factors allowed me to fight my immigration battles over the past two decades and to persist. But not everyone has this kind of fortune. So please, if you know anyone that could use any kind of help with an immigration-related matter, have them reach out to me. My newly minted American citizenship is meaningless if I don't pay it forward in the service of helping others. My American passport does not absolve my struggle. It acknowledges it 
It is a symbol of my struggle. It is a symbol of the resolution of that struggle. It does not dismiss it. It celebrates it. It memorializes it. And that's what immigration is all about. That's what citizenship represents. It represents the hope and the promise that your journey can be forever ingrained and set in stone with dignity and peace. The promise that your personal journey can be remembered and worn as a badge of representation, a badge of acknowledgement, and as a badge of your own small slice of personal history. I hope you learned something about immigration today. Please keep listening to people's stories so we can all inform ourselves, educate ourselves, and induce awareness of what the real, tangible, human face of the immigration struggle looks like. Thanks for listening.